All right, our law and gospel series has been hijacked, but it wasn't our fault. It was the, it was not Sarah's fault. It was uh, the book, God's Yes and God's No, because, um, I mean, it's weird the way they do this thesis and all of a sudden, what, see, thesis nine, I believe we're on, yes, and um, all of a sudden, it, uh, does this weird thing and, and jumps into this long discussion of baptism. Well, right, but it's still a weird place to throw it. It's still a weird place to put it into the book, right? Because you're trying to give us this correct understanding of law and gospel, and it just goes into baptism, the Lord's Supper, and absolution. So it seems a pretty bizarre place. But what's interesting is, so that's where we are in the book. The book does that. For the Bible study exercise, that was in Acts 2, where there's these verses dealing with baptism. Then in the curriculum, they have an entire article on baptism. And then uh, someone who uh, was doing the word study uh, this week decided to do the word study on baptism. So all of the the baptism all came kind of crashing in. And then what the week before I got the whole ambushed and by those people in regards to baptism. So baptism just keeps showing up like everywhere I turn for the last probably, what, over a week now? So um, I, I thought, well, we have to deal with this some way, shape, or form. So we're dealing, what we're doing, uh, we're doing the one series where we're going to look at baptism in the early church, and we're going to look at the three historical sources, the Didache, um, Tertullian on baptism, and Hippolytus on the apostolic tradition, all right? So we're going to be continuing to work on that in that series, but for long gospel, we're going to take, I don't know how long it's going to take, maybe maybe we can finish it tonight, if not, we'll try to finish it Wednesday, whenever. We're going to try to finish understanding long gospel, or baptism in light of law and gospel, all right? So we, we, we started trying to do, kind of weave through some of this this morning, but here's what I want to do, all right? I want, I want us to do this, all right? So we have, we have the concepts law and gospel. Everybody got those concepts down, right? When we say law, what do we mean? What we must do, right? Any demand. So anytime you read a scripture that tells you to do something, it is what kind of scripture? Law. Doesn't matter what it is. If it says love God, what is that? It's a law. It's a law. Anytime the scripture tells you to do something, it's a law. Okay? And what do we know about us as sinful people? We're never going to keep the law. We will never obey the law. And the law does what? Reveals our sin, condemns us, and it's supposed to drive us to Christ. Whenever there's a passage that's gospel, gospel is what? What God has done for us, typically through Jesus Christ. Yes? That's gospel. Okay, those are just, we got to know those concepts, right? We have to know those concepts. And if what we believe as Protestants, right, as non-Catholics, what do we say about the gospel? That we are saved by what? Grace alone? Faith alone? Because of Christ alone, right? That we are apart from works. And if that is true then what can we say about salvation? If we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, we are saved by an imputed righteousness apart from works, what can we say about salvation? What, what is something that we have to just like, this is like you have to draw the line in the sand and you, you, there is no compromise. That you, like you have to stand your ground here because I, I think it's the only logical conclusion. If we are saved by an imputed righteousness, right, Christ died, paid for all of our sins. They're all washed away. His righteousness is imputed to us, and it's by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from works, then what has to be true about salvation that we cannot compromise on? Okay. All right? I'm not saying those things are not true. There's one specific thing I'm looking for. I mean, this thing, like, we, we have to, like, we have, like, this is where we are willing to scream and fight here. Something about salvation that would have to be absolutely 1,000% true, that there could be no compromise in any way, shape, or form. What do you think? Come on, just throw out every idea you can come up with. I'm going to look and see if anyone's throwing out ideas online. All right. Okay, all of that. I'm not saying those things are not true, but there's one specific thing I'm looking for. Okay, come on. 
Okay, well, that, that's all true. Not, not in any way, I'm not, not arguing against any of those things. There's got to be something, if the, all of that other stuff is true, and obviously I've already said that it's imputed, I've already said it's a work of, all those things I've already implied in just describing it, right? So what am I not describing that would have to be true based on all of those things I described? Okay, well, I think I've already implied that by saying it's grace alone apart from works, right? So I've already, so to think of all the things I've described, what would have to be true that I did not mention in my description? There we go. That's what I'm looking for. Good job, Steve. All right, way to go. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I've said it. This is so critical, right? If salvation, I mean, would that not be true? If I'm saved by an imputed righteousness, that means that's nothing to do with me, right? It's imputed. It's accredited to my account. If all my sins are forgiven, right, and I'm saved by grace alone, faith alone, apart from works, then salvation has to be eternal. You can't lose it. There's just no way. I don't, you can go to 50 scriptures that seem to imply that you can. The minute I go to any scripture to try to imply you can lose it, then immediately then salvation is not by what? It's not by an imputed righteousness. It's not all my sins have been forgiven. It's not a work of God. It's clearly I, I, something I can do. Now, the, now, I want to make sure the minute we say salvation is eternal and we are eternally secure because we didn't save ourselves, God saved us, that has profound impact, not only in how we understand law and gospel, but it changes everything we believe in regards to baptism because it immediately limits certain concepts, Right? Okay, so let's go back through this. When we talk about baptism, we all seem to agree that it seems to be a command, yes? And if it's a command, that places it in which category, Sarah? Law, okay. However, some believe that, yes, it may be commanded. However, baptism is a work of God, that God in baptism does something for us. And that places it in which kind of category? Gospel category, right? So it's commanded, but they would argue it's gospel because it's a work of God that God does for us, right? And and not only does it put it in the gospel category, what other category does it put it into? Sacramental ordinance. If, if, If we say that it's a work of God that God does for us, it's a sacrament, making it a visible means of grace, right? All right, now, if it's a visible... Me- now, th- now, just stay with me. The minute we say it's a work of God, it's a visible means of grace, therefore it's salvific or it's regenerative, it regenerates, then what's the logical conclusion based off what we just spent 10 minutes trying to explain? That the salvation it produces would have to be eternal. There we go, right? Because it's a work of God by grace. Right? Apart from works. Therefore, it would have to be eternal. All right? Does that make sense? Now, this is where it gets so confusing. Some people, and this is where infant baptism comes in, they will say it's sacrament. So they place baptism in the gospel side. They'll place baptism as a sacrament. They'll say it's a work of God. It's salvific. It's regenerative. The baby gets baptized at eight days old. The baby saved. And then what, what, what's getting ready? What word am I getting ready to use? But they can lose it. Okay. Now, the minute we say they can lose it, what happens? <laughs> well, that's a work of God that can be thwarted by, like you, I think you used the word thwarted by us. But now, now, now what does that do to salvation? It's no longer eternal, meaning that we're not saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by an imputed righteousness. It was saved by works. So the whole concept begins to fall. Everything falls apart. And so immediately, where do you basically end back up, if you're you're honest? You're going to end up back in Roman Catholicism. There's just no way. And so the Lutherans have this weird, like, 
baptism is gospel. I mean, it's commanded, but it's gospel because it's a work of God. It's a sacrament because God does it. It's regenerative, but you can lose it. The minute you say you can lose it, the whole thing blows up. And why do they have to have the get out of, like their ace up the sleeve? Because there have been so many kids who've been baptized as a baby who grow up and are atheist, agnostic, don't care anything about God, hate church, hate the Bible. It's not just like they're just not living right. They just literally, and so you say, well, 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 the baptism saved them for, I guess, a period of time. But then at some point, they got to make it their own. What, what that, that's not a work of God. <laughs> and then do you have to be baptized again? Then they say you don't have to be baptized again. The whole thing just falls completely and utterly apart, right? Because if it's regenerative, if you find out you're not saved, what would you have to do? You have to get rebaptized because it's salvific. <laughs> the whole thing falls apart. And, and it's, it's maddening and seeing how all this plays itself out throughout church history. Now, Catholics are consistent all the way through, right? Baptism washes away original sin. And what happens in it? You're infused with righteousness. And then you must cooperate with that righteousness, utilizing the sacraments of the church. And then the depending mortal venial where you end up, if you die in a state of grace, if you die in a state of grace, you go to purgatory. Then in purgatory, you're purged. Then finally, you get the ultimate, or, you know, the ultimate justification, and you finally enter into, into glory. At least they're, they're consistent all the way through. All the way through. But it's this weird, like, what is this? Is it law? Is it gospel? Am I, am I saved by grace or am I saved by law? Well, the minute you say I can lose it, you immediately said that I'm saved by what? Law. No way around it. So what we're doing is we're looking at Luther's catechism, right? That's what we're doing. If I can find where I placed Luther's catechism. Here we go. All right. Now, we talked about, and remember that he was trying to explain how to prove that infants can be baptized and what was his great, uh, Luther's great uh, scriptural argument? Matthew 28, 19, because it says all nations, but he completely ignored what it actually says there, right? And then, well, what was the second reason? So the first reason is because they're included in the words all nations, which made absolutely no sense because in Matthew 28, 19, it says teach all nations, then baptize then teach. Okay, right. Then he brought in, uh, well, he did that in another section, another section. All right, he didn't try to quote Acts 2, which would be a little better argument, but still not a great one. But what was his second major point? And this is, this is the whole reason infant baptism even exists. Remember? I quote, because holy baptism is the only means whereby infants who too must be born again, can ordinarily be regenerated and brought to faith. That's where he quotes Mark 10 about bringing the kids. So this explains really where, why infant baptism became so popular in the early church. Why did it become so popular in the early church? Well, because salvation is being taught. It's clearly taught, especially when you get to the Pelagian um, Augustine argument between those two about human depravity, that we're all born sinners, right? So we're all born sinners, and what are they witnessing constantly? A high infant mortality. Infants are dying, infants are dying, infants are dying. Well, what do we know about those infants? They're sinners, right? We're all born depraved sinners. That's a fact. So the church is like, well, we got to come up with, what do we do here? What do we do here? We got to come up with some way, right? And we got to come up, we got to come up with a way to save them that involves what? A salvation, say it, Sarah, a salvation that doesn't involve what? Faith, right? Because the infant can't believe. Now they're going to try to throw in faith that the baby can believe, but it becomes really ludicrous, right? Because if, the whole, because then if they did believe, well, then God gave them the faith. So then how did they lose the faith with, faith with God? The whole thing begins to fall apart. But this is, this is really, to me, they saw a problem and they needed a solution. And Luther says it right here. 
Holy baptism is the only means whereby infants who too must be born again can ordinarily be regenerated and brought to faith. So really the baptism brings the faith. Now it sounds good. Now he, he doesn't have any scripture to prove this, right? The best he has is, well, well, Jesus said, bring the children to me. But did he baptize them? No, no, he didn't. Did he tell anyone to baptize them? No, I mean, like, it's just ridiculous to read baptism into that, right? It doesn't, it doesn't in any way, shape, or form. So this is it. So I want to make sure we understand. You can see why, though. Like, as much as I'm critical of this, I want us to understand, I can understand why they came up with the concept. I can understand. If you read the Didache, you don't see anything about infant baptism. And then even Tertullian, you know what his view was? Does everybody know what Tertullian said in regards to this? If it's a child, wait. Wait. You know why he said wait? Because the sponsor who brings the child, they may fail in their responsibility as the child grows up. Or the child may grow up and prove to have an evil disposition. So don't baptize them. Wait. That's Tertullian saying you should wait. Because he knew that how many times you sprinkle the baby, what happens? It doesn't work. Right? So then, well then that, that, that raises all kinds of questions. So, but, but they were trying to figure out what to do with babies. I don't blame them for trying to figure that out. I don't blame them. And that's a disturbing thing to try to, to try to figure out. Christians have been try, Christians have come up with every trick in the book to try to figure this out, right? And either you have to either you go Pelagian route. The Pelagius answer is what? Well, they're not they don't have a sinful nature, so they're good to go, right? So you destroy human depravity. That's a serious theological issue, right? Okay, because then Pelagius says there can be perfect people even without regeneration because we don't have a sinful nature. That's the problem. What's the second uh, solution? You got the Pelagian answer. Hey, children aren't sinners. What's the second answer in church history? Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll put that as number two. Right, infant baptism. All right, infant baptism is number two. What's the third? What's the third solution put forth in Christianity? Okay, age, the, the, the mysterious age of accountability that's not found anywhere between Genesis and Revelation, okay? But the mysterious age of accountability, and isn't it amazing how the age of accountability can do what? Change. It can be seven, it can be 14, it can be anything, right? And we can put it wherever we want it, and, and what usually de- de- depends where we put it? Our relationship with the child, right? Okay, if it's close to us, Boom. It goes, it goes anywhere. But the Bible doesn't, doesn't speak anything about that in any, in any way, shape, or form. There, there's, it doesn't. And the best, and the best answer, and, and people try to go to you know, the whole concept when the child died with David and says, well, you know, I, I'll go to be with the child. But that's simply, that's also understood as a Hebrew idiom, just saying the child's dead. In other words, I can't do anything and one day I'll die. I can't, I'm just going to, I'll go to the grave the same way the child went to the grave. I can't do anything about bringing the child Back, but we all of a sudden guess what was created from that one phrase? An entire concept of age of accountability. Clearly, the, the early church didn't believe in an age of accountability. That's why they were baptizing babies. <laughs> so the age of accountability comes years and years and years later, trying to figure this out. But everyone was still trying to figure out to do what? What do we do? And my thing is, if there's an age. <laughs> Like, the whole thing is, is we try to come up with a million ways to get around it. And my thing is, if God's going to give someone 14, 15 years until, quote unquote, they become accountable, why not just then remove the age of accountability for everyone's life? And so then no one's accountable and we all go to heaven. I mean, there's so many theological issues with it. But everyone was trying to fix this problem. Now, the problem is, this is very important. So many times in theology, when we try to fix one problem, what do we have a tendency to do? We try to fix a problem by creating a solution that turns out to be a theological problem in and of itself if we're willing to admit it. So what problem does infant baptism create? 
It creates the problem that you now have children who are baptized who live like the devil. So now you got to try to figure out why they live like the devil. Even though you said salvation is, uh, that baptism is a work of God, where God regenerates and gives faith and does all of these things. Well, okay, well then the minute, then you have to make salvation not eternal. And then you have to make salvation somehow based on works because that's the only way to make it work. So then you ultimately lead yourself by destroying what? Which concept do you destroy? The gospel. Inadvertently, you end up destroying the gospel because you turn the gospel into a salvation by works. Right? You go to the age of accountability, you have all kinds of issues. Okay? All kinds of issues. So uh, now, wait a minute. So that means a person can die without faith and be saved. Well, then you can say salvation is not by faith alone because now someone can die without faith and be saved. So it will then, when, when does it magically run out? If, if you could, if it, and then abortion would obviously be the greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of humankind, right? Because then everyone would go to heaven. Not only that, if all these people can be saved without faith, but then five minutes later, like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, oh, it's my birthday, boom. Now if you die, you go to hell, all of a sudden, because magically accountability, like it's just the whole thing creates so many theological problems. So all of these, but I understand the reason why. Does everybody understand? I understand the reason why. Okay. But you've got to understand the unintended consequences. So in theology, what do we always have to do? Whatever the issue is, we always have to take it where? It's logical conclusion. And sometimes where does the logical conclusion end? End. It's a mess. It's a mess. And this ends in a mess. So now back to Calvin, or back to Calvin, back to Luther. Changing my, uh, mixing up my reformers, okay? I was reading a, a thing today about Calvin and Geneva, and so that's why I was thinking Calvin. All right. So there was his second argument. What was his third argument for how do we prove infants can be baptized? Number one, because they're included in the words all nations. Number two, because it's the only way a baby can be saved. And number three... Do you remember his third reason? Infants can believe. Well, that's what I was taught as a Lutheran, John the Baptist. Remember, he quoted, who, uh, who, so, who shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me? It was better for him that a milestone was hanging about his neck. Because it says little ones, he interprets that to be infants, and so therefore they can believe. So now babies can believe. Well, then if babies can believe... What would, be, what would be the logical, theological question? What was the source of that faith? And if the source of that faith is God gave them the faith, then they could never lose it. And if they can lose what God gave them, then God wasn't the one giving them the faith. And then how could then they, as a depraved baby, all of a sudden decide to believe? And do you have to teach them before they can decide to believe? And was it the faith that preceded the baptism or is it the baptism that produces the faith? And if the baptism produces the faith, is it a God-given faith? Well, then why does the child lose it when he's 12 or 13 and no longer cares about the things of God? Like all the, every kid in the youth group at the Lutheran Church, Our Savior Lutheran Church, South 7th Street, that's where I taught the young people. I mean, I remember after teaching them, like the first time I kind of went back to the pastor and was like, and I think I literally said something like, is the water in this church broken? Because I'm like, this is a mess. These kids could care less. They didn't want to be there. They hated it. So I'm like, so the baptism didn't work for one kid. And guess what I was told? Well, they can lose their salvation. Well, so then... Do I, do I go in here and preach evangelism to them? And if they get saved, then do we rebaptize them? Like it was so, like, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And there was no easy answer because they didn't really do the kind of evangelism the way we would think evangelism. So I, I, the kids thought they were okay. You know why the kids thought they were okay? They were baptized. And so then if, I'm try, if I try to tell them that they're not saved, then the parents would get mad. How dare you tell my kid they're not saved? Your kid hates God. Okay, what do you want me to do? Okay, he hates church. 
And he's a Lutheran. He only has to come on Sunday morning. He doesn't even have any other services. I'm like, what am I supposed? I was, I was so confused. That, that's where I started having some major issues going, I just don't understand how this is supposed to work. But the losing your salvation is what? Is where you're like, wait a minute, I thought we had law and gospel. Right? Now, you ready? Here's what Luther says a baptism gives you. This is what baptism does for you. All right, you ready? There's a lot of these. Are you gonna, we're going to make a list here. Everybody ready? According to Luther, here's what baptism does. Number one, produces the forgiveness of sins. Produces the forgiveness of sins. My glasses are all dirty. Produces the forgiveness of sins. Okay? That's the word he used. Bottom line is it forgives all your sins. All your sins are forgiven. Now, what would be the logical, theological question you should ask at this time? Well, no, just about baptism. Just take it to a logical conclusion. If baptism forgives sins, what's the logical question we should ask? What question, Sarah? Okay, well, we, well, we could ask the question this way. Past sins, present sins, future sins are all sins. If it forgives past, present, and future, then, say it, Sarah, then how can you lose it if all your sins have been forgiven? Right. So even if they turned and denied Jesus, how can they lose it? Because the sin has been forgiven. So it would be, you see the problem? All right. Second. Well, if they believe you can lose it, clearly they can't believe it means all sins. Even if they said it, they wouldn't mean anything, Right. Even if they said all your sins are forgiven, they couldn't really mean it if you can lose it because the minute you can lose it means there comes a point where your sins are no longer forgiven. So it, no matter what they said, in practice, it, does, it can't mean what, even if they say it that way, it couldn't mean that way. I don't know what Luther would have ex- exactly would have said, but there would have been a problem, right? And what, what makes it even more bizarre is guess what else can give you forgiveness of sins in the Lutheran church? Lord's Supper. So, in other words, you have something that constantly continues to forgive your sin. So, as long as I'm taking the Lord's Supper, well, then all my sins are being... So, like, and then you have confession with absolution. So, you've got three ways to get your sins forgiven. Well, well I mean... I, I, mean I, I mean, yeah, I mean, he was, he, he was Catholic, right? So, I mean, clearly this comes over. So, I mean, obviously the forgiveness of sins here has to have some kind of limit in how they would un- understand it. Just because the practice, if you're getting forgiveness in the Lord's Supper, then clearly not all your sins were forgiven in baptism, right? So, I don't know. I don't know how you would, I don't know how you would render it. Right, so, yeah, I don't know. All right, next, delivers from death and the devil. Delivers from death and the devil. And baptism. Meaning, if it delivers from death, what do they say? It gives you what? Eternal life. However, you can lose it. So therefore, what kind of eternal life is if you can lose it? That's, that's probationary life. Well, I, I mean, it's a common Lutheran concept. Well, I mean, it has to be. Right. I mean, well, I mean, anyone who teaches sacramental view of infant baptism has to believe you can lose it. They have to because, because they, they know the results of it. They know the results of it. Just, just go to any church that practices a sacramental view of baptism. Right? Go to a Catholic church. You know Catholics who are baptized as a child. What happens? Okay. 
Well, Baptists, yeah, because we don't believe it works. But you know so many who are baptized who could care less about anything. I don't care if you go to the Episcopalian. I don't care if you go to Lutheran. I don't go if you go to Catholic. I don't go to Greek Orthodox. There are millions of people who have been baptized as an infant who grow up and could care less about any of that. So they have to explain that. They have to explain it. I mean, what do you do? Right? So it supposedly forgives sins and delivers from death and hell. It get, and listen, to even stress it, he goes beyond just gives, uh, delivers you from death and, and the devil. He writes and gives, are you ready? Eternal salvation to all who believe this and these and the words and promises of God declare. All right. Well, it, it just all of that fits together. It just basically, the blessings of baptism is it works forgiveness of sins, it delivers from death, and it gives eternal uh, salvation. Yeah, and then he quotes from Mark where it says, uh, he that believeth and baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Right, he quotes from Mark 16, which we know there's lots of arguments about Mark 16, but yeah, whatever. Which is a favorite Church of Christ uh, verse as well. All right. All right, now here we go. Listen to this, all right? Okay. Now this, I'm skipping some of it. I'm skipping some of it for time's sake, all right? But I just want you to understand how this all works. Okay, so if you talk to a Lutheran, they would be like, hey, we're the gospel base. We have a right distinction between law and gospel. And why do we have a right distinction between law and gospel? Because nothing can be more gospel-oriented than taking a baby who can't do anything and God saving them through baptism. That's gospel. And that sounds great, right? And we have to say, oh, amen, that's a good point. But it's not so gospel-oriented when the kid turns 16 and then you say, well, they're not, they lost their salvation. That's not gospel. Now you're going full-blown law. Because how are you judging the salvation? By what they do. And then because of what they do, they lost their salvation. You, you just destroyed the whole beautiful concept. Right? The whole concept has now blown up. Now listen to this. Are you ready to wrap your minds around this? All right. Here is uh, question 256 in Luther's Catechism. All right at the 78% mark on my uh, Kindle. Here we go. Can anyone be saved without baptism? Here we go. You ready? It is unbelief only that damns. And though saving faith cannot exist in the heart of one who refuses to be baptized, it can exist for some reason, baptism cannot be obtained. <laughs> this is the most convoluted thing I've ever heard in my life. Okay. No water, no All right. <laughs> right. There you go. All right. So here it goes. So in other words, what, what damns you? Unbelief. However, if your heart, if you refuse to be baptized, you cannot be saved. So, so if you refuse to be baptized, you can't be saved. All right. Now, what does that sound like? It sounds like a works. Sounds very lordship, right? Hey, if you refuse to be baptized, you can't be saved. But I thought I was saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. No, 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 no. You refuse baptism, you can't be saved. So how, if I, so that, now listen, if I, re, so now this is referring to someone who's an adult, obviously, right? Because a baby can't refuse. So let's say there's Sarah's, let's say at some point, she's like, I believe in Jesus, right? I'm trusting in his finished work. And I'm like, okay, well, you need to get baptized. And she says, I refuse. You can't be saved. Oh, well, I guess he's saying refusing is unbelief. But the bottom line is, you're not saved because you're refusing to do something, which makes it what? Law. How can you not see it? Like, that, like how? Oh, 
And this is this just shows you how confusing the world of theology is, right? Because they would be like, no, 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 we're gospel. It's those Protestants over there. It's, it's the evangelical church. They're so law-based. And then you turn around and say, hey, Bobby, you're, you can't be saved because you're refusing to get baptized. Until you get baptized, you can't be saved. So then you would say, so you're telling me I'm saved by what I do? How dare you say that? We believe in the gospel. You, but you just said it. Isn't that crazy? But I like the way Bobby said it, because the very next line, he says what? But it can exist. You can be saved, Sarah, if baptism cannot be obtained. So if for some reason, it cannot be obtained. So now we, we've got to have what? Well, either we, we got, now we have to have kind of a, a get out of free jail card. So if for some reason, Sarah can't get baptized, Right? If for some reason she can't, she dies in the car wreck to the church, she gets cancer, whatever the reason be. If she can't get it, she's still good. So baptism is necessary, but <laughs> there's ways out of it. Not, uh, the Church of Christ plays that same game, right? You have to be baptized to be saved. Well, if this happens or 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 this happens, well then, you know, well, no, either it's necessary or it's not necessary. You can't come up with 30 exceptions, right? It's like you can't say you're saved by grace alone through faith, but if in these 16 situations you don't have faith, you are saved. That it doesn't work that way. Right. Well, there's no question about that. But the issue is, if they would have refused, would they have gone to hell? Right. Clearly, there was an emphasis of you believe, you get baptized. There's no question about it. Right? So, if we place it over in an ordinance camp, right? If we place it in an ordinance camp, we, we remove it from the whole sacramental world, Right? So we place it in the ordinance camp. Sarah likes to answer these questions. We place it in the ordinance camp. We place it in which category? Law or gospel? Law. And if someone refuses, they're disobeying. But if we believe they're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, would that impact their salvation? No. It shouldn't. Now, everybody would probably say that it would. Right, yeah, right, right. It basically becomes like a lordship salvation. It almost becomes a test, right? It becomes a test. Your refusal to get baptized is proved that you were never saved because if you were saved, you would want to. Well, by that art, by, by, now take that to its logical conclusion. Well, if you're saved, you should now want to obey every command. So then every time you refuse to obey a command, Proves you're not say say if you take it to its logical conclusion, wouldn't that wouldn't that where you would end up? If I'm going to do that with baptism, I could do that with everything, right? I I could literally make that the test for everything. Hey, if you're truly saved, you would want to get baptized. Well, if I'm truly saved, I should want to obey all the commands. So at any point, if I don't want to obey any command, then I'm not saved. That, that would be the most ridiculous thing ever because nobody obeys all the commands. And guess what? We don't always want to. Right? Do we always want to come to church? Do we always want to read our Bible? Do we always want to pray? Do we always want to forgive people? Do we always want to love people? All right, well, guess what? You're not saved. Because the want to is not there. No, I'm just saying you've got to take these to their logical conclusion. And when you take it to the logical conclusion, but nobody ever wants to take, they like to stay over here and just like be able to say, well, they're not saved, they're not saved, they're not saved, they're not saved, they're not saved. And how dare you tell me the other? Well, because you're destroying the gospel. So at least in the ordinance camp, if we're going to be consistent, 
We would say it's a command. Sacramental side would say it's a command. We would say it's not a work of God. It's a work we do in order to demonstrate the work of God, right? It symbolizes the work of God in salvation. We would say uh, that if we refuse to do it, we should say that can't impact salvation because if that impacts salvation, every time I refuse to obey would impact my salvation. Therefore, nobody would be saved. So we would place it clearly much more in the law camp. Over here in the sacramental side, it's all over the place, right? Well, it's law, but it's a work of God, but it's a work of God that's only temporary because you can lose it and you must do it but if you refuse, but you must do it. However, if you can't do it, you're okay. But if you refuse to do it, then you're not okay. What a mess in even trying to figure all of that out. Right? I mean, it's just crazy. All right. Um, okay. Now, um, There's a much more he could say here. There's much more he could say here. He's getting ready to go into absolution, but because of time. So let's try to work this through, all right? Let's just try to make sure we understand it, right? Oh, wait, make sure I'm not missing any comments or questions, right? it's, it's, It's so crazy. It's so crazy um, the way this works. It really is. Okay, hang on. I can log into my... All right, here we go. Now, when we speak of law and gospel, I want you to understand the profound impact it has on how we view salvation and even how we view baptism. Correct? Law and gospel should cause us, if we're going to truly believe the gospel is what God does for us and law is what we do, should, and if we're going to really believe the gospel means that we are saved not apart by anything we do, but all about what God does, that should mean that we believe what about salvation? That it's eternal. And that it's eternally secure because it's not dependent upon us. I can't lose it based off what I do because it's based off what Christ did. Now, the minute I establish that fact, the minute I establish that fact, and then I'm going to say, I'm going to claim that infant baptism is a work of God that God does for us, what would have to be the logical conclusion then? Every child that is baptized is what? Eternally saved. And, and at anyone who deviates from that doesn't clearly believe it's a perfect work of God and clearly doesn't believe salvation is all by grace alone with faith alone, they are reverting back to a works-based system. So in most cases, every almost, I don't know of, there may be some out there, but in theory, every single church that believes in infant baptism without fail believes you can lose your salvation and so they fall back into a works-based system. Therefore, you could reject, we could reject infant baptism, not even on the basis of whether we find it in Scripture. If you believe it's regenerative, if you believe it's salvific, you would have to hold to the fact that that means every baby baptized is eternally secure forever. The end. And any deviation from that, what are you, you going to destroy? You're bringing the law into the gospel and you're taking salvation and making it by works. Well, you can by claiming that it's a work of God, right? If you believe baptism is a work of God that God did, because that's the whole way Lutherans get her. Because sometimes what we would say is, Right, because sometimes what we would say, if, you're, if you were never Catholic or never Lutheran, what we have a tendency to say is, well, they believe in infant baptism, so they believe in salvation by works because it's based off what you do. But they, whenever we say that, we're demonstrating we misunderstand their perspective. They're like, no, 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 it's the most grace without works thing anyone can do because you take a baby who can't do anything and God does it for them. See how gospel-oriented we are? And it sounds so good, but you have to go, okay, what happens when the kid grows up? And 
basically has nothing to do with their faith. If they, all you have to, and all you do is just wait. And the minute they say they lost their salvation, then immediately you know what? You're no more gospel-oriented than I am. In fact, you're less gospel-oriented than I am because now you're saying that God did a saving work and that saving work can be thrown off. Meaning that, and how is it thrown off? By what they do or don't do. And if it's thrown off by what they do or don't do, then it's by works. Now what some of them will say, some may try to argue that, well, as long as they don't stop believing. So what does that mean? Like, as long as they say, I believe, then they're good to go. Well, okay, well then, if you're going to try it, sometimes they'll try to back it up, but the point is, then if you truly believe that infant baptism basically just saves forever and there's no way to really lose it, well then guess, what should every, again, I've said it before, if every Lutheran church meant that, they would, they would buy the biggest property they could and, and offer free daycare for every infant from zero, probably from the ages of zero to three, and not charge a dime. And every child that came through that door, they would do what? They'd baptize them in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, Son. And you say, well, what about the parents? The parents don't need to know. The child doesn't even need to know. You're just sprinkling water and saying, and then guess what happens? Magically, what happened to that child? List all the things that he said happens. Their sins are forgiven. They're delivered from death. And gives eternal life. And delivered from the devil, right? Eternal life. There they go. I mean, if they are even halfway believe that, if they even halfway believe that, every Lutheran church would be doing that. They would spend all of their money to do that. Because if it, and then the child just play and it's like, well, it doesn't, you can't, it, it doesn't do, I mean, you're just sprinkling water on the kid three times in the name of, I mean, it's the most, you know, it's not causing, the child doesn't remember, it just gets a couple of drops on its head and it's over. And then the child just goes back home, nobody has to know anything and you get like, man, and then, then you guess what, every Sunday they could report, we saved 500 kids this week. Or they could even, if they wanted to be theologically correct, God saved 500 kids this week. And the Lutheran church across town, they saved another 500. And then a Lutheran church, uh, the county over, they saved 500. We've saved, you know, 1,500 kids this week. But they, just by putting water on them. And they say, well, that's ridiculous. No, that's what you're claiming. That's what you're claiming. So the sacramental system I just want you to, this is what I want you to realize. The sacramental system sounds what? Very gospel oriented. And it is a beautiful picture. Look, that was the thing that drew me to it. Is I was like, wow. God does this beautiful work in baptism. Apart from us. That's true. That's the true work of salvation. God saves through this visible means of water sprinkled in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That clearly shows that I'm gospel-based. Then I start teaching the young people, and I'm like, so none of you read your Bible. None of you study your Bible. None of you want to be a church. None of you care about anything. I mean, this basically, we don't care. We don't, it's not like, hey, I'm not talking about judging their sin. They just literally, like, basically, like, I don't care about any of this stuff. It's all garbage. I don't care about any of it. And you're just kind of like, well, what am I supposed to do here? And any questioning of their salvation was almost immediately met with, no, they were baptized. And the pastor is like, well, you can lose it. Well, if you believe they can lose it, you need to be doing a whole lot of sermons on losing it, okay? Because it's crazy. Nobody even cares. Like, it was like total animosity, total rejection. It was not just like, I'm not talking that they were just living sinful. I'm talking they just did not, I'm not even talking about their behavior. I'm talking about they didn't want anything to do with it. Nothing. Like, they, they, they would have rather been, you know, slapped in the head 15 times with a baseball bat rather than talk about God or church or anything. And it was just so, like, disturbing to me. I'm like, I just don't understand what's going on here. 
Right? I just don't understand. And well, they didn't have a definitive answer. They didn't have a definitive answer. And, well, the only answer you could come up with is you lose it. Well, and the minute you lose it, so here's, this is, this is and, and just think about it. And every theological circle, and, and see, if you can, uh, see if you can detect the difference here. I want to make sure we can detect the difference. If you, have an, if you have someone who comes to faith older in life, right? 12, 13, 14, 18, 19. Number one, the difference between that and an infant is they came to, they actually on their own said, I understand this and I believe this. Now, I understand you can still manipulate young children, which is why I'm very leery of child evangelism because it's so manipulative. You can, you can pull kids in a Sunday school class and say, who wants to go to hell? And which kid is going to be like, that would be me. Okay, no, yeah, uh, you know, Jesus died for you. Don't you love Jesus? Oh, wait, he died for me? What did I mean? Like, you can, you can manipulate kids, right? So child evangelism to me is, is paramount to evil, all right? Because it's just so manipulative. It's so manipulative. But if the child, as, as they get older and they can understand and they make a profession of faith, you can see the drastic difference between that and an infant who had no say in anything. Nothing. Right? Can everybody see the difference there? So, now if you get older, let's say now they reach the same age. Here's the one who was the infant. They could care less. Now you have an adult, right? Have an adult, and let's say he he says, I could care less. They're both in the same category, but at least with one of them, you have a starting point to go back to and say, well, why did you make the profession of faith? Like, what was going on? You have somewhere to start. With the infant, what do you say? With the one who's now grown, well, I mean, they can just look at you like, well, I, I, didn't do, I didn't do anything. I didn't want this. I didn't ask for this. I didn't believe anything. I've never believed it. I mean, I have literally talked to kids who were baptized infants who would say those words. I never believed any of this. Well, the minute they were baptized and say they never believed any of it, what does that prove? Well, that the water didn't produce faith. That's, that's a major problem, is it not? So I want you to see that when it comes to law and gospel, this, I'll just end with this. This is what I want you to see. Law and gospel, if we get a proper distinction, gospel is what God does for us and that's how we're saved. Law is what we're supposed to do and that condemns us. In the world of sacramental baptism, specifically for babies, for the primarily. If you claim that it's a gospel system where the baby is saved, regenerated because of the work of God alone, if you're going to be consistent with the law-gospel distinction, what must you say? The baby is eternally saved forever. And if at any point you revert back and say they can lose it, well, then now you've turned, yeah, now you're turning to what? Back to a law-based system. And you're now destroying the gospel by bringing the law back into it. Does that make sense? In fact, what is it, what is it similar to? Similar, in a sense, to the lordship view. Hey, Bobby, you're saved, right? Because you made a profession of faith, you're saved. But... If you, do, if you do this or this and this, you were never saved. Now, at least, now, and the Lordship, it's a little bit more picky because they're just now going after your action. You're going after your action. And when I'm judging the, the problem with infant baptism is because it's not just action. You now got to explain how someone who supposedly was saved and was given faith now literally completely rejects Everything. I think everyone would say if someone gets older and completely rejects everything, then we would call into question salvation, right? I think we can all agree on that. But the key is if you say that they were saved because of what God did, then they should never be able to reject it because it's a faith given to them by God. And see, that's, that's, that's the problem. That's the problem. And it all falls apart. All right? Now,
for this week, what we'll do, and so this, I just wanted to at least address this because this book spends a long time basically saying, hey, all of you, all you reform people, y'all don't get it. Y'all don't understand because you don't accept, you know, regenerative infant baptism. What is your problem? What is your problem? You should just believe this, all right? For example, they're like, you know, according to the Holy Scriptures, baptism is not mere washing with earth, earthly water, but the Spirit of God. Yea, Jesus with his blood connects it for the purpose of cleansing me of my sins. Jesus says to Nicodemus, truly I say unto you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now see right there, they're saying that water is baptism. Now listen, if we read that, then truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You can't come and make an exception later. Right? If that water is baptism, you can't say, well, 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 if Sarah wanted to, but she couldn't, she could still be... No, there's no exception. What would be required to be saved there? Water and the Spirit. He names the water first, then the Spirit. For it is by the very baptizing with water that the Spirit is to be given me. So how does that child get the Holy Spirit? By baptism. All right? Um, in Galatians 3, the apostle says clearly and distinctly, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So again, saying that baptism there is water. And in Titus, he saved us not because of deeds by us in righteousness, but in virtue of his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit, which he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that we might be justified by his grace and become heirs in the hope of eternal life. So let me make it very clear. If the way they're reading these scriptures is true, if you're not baptized, you're what? You're not saved. There's no exceptions. And the fact that they try to make exceptions is trash. I'm not, I'm not even going to be nice. If the scripture, because it's like saying, how are you saved? You must be born again. Well, if the opportunity doesn't present itself, then you start making, well, the minute you start making excuses or exemptions, then guess what you should do? Make an exemption for everyone. And they don't, they don't do that. All right. Uh, and then, and then they go to the Lord's Supper. Then they go to the Lord's Supper. All right. And so it's just, it's just so weird that they, and they spend more time really on absolution than probably anything. They spend a long time. And then finally they come back and then kind of get back into a right discussion of law and gospel. But they got to go through all of those things. You got, they go through all those things. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, and absolution. And it's just crazy. Uh, confession. You confess your sins, and then absolution is when the priest declares that your sins have been forgiven. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and, and all three of those produces the forgiveness of sins, which is very, it's very Catholic in its concept. Like, it's almost describing it as a process, right? Baptism starts the process. What continues it? Lord's Supper and absolution. Which uh, it seems to imply that the baptism is not sufficient in and of itself. It's so problematic. It's so problematic. All right, any questions? No? Everybody's an expert now? Okay. Everybody understands uh, sacrament and ordinance, right? Sacrament means something is a visible means of grace, which would be, what are the sacraments primarily are baptism and the Lord's Supper, unless you're in Catholic Church, there's seven. Okay, God is doing, it's supposed to be a work of God. And ordinance means something God has ordained, commanded for us to do, and it serves as a picture, uh, it's a visible picture of a spiritual reality. It doesn't produce the spiritual reality, it pictures the spiritual reality, Right? So the Lord's Supper pictures Christ shedding his blood for us. Doesn't make the blood present. We're not, he, it, it's, it's a picture of it. And baptism doesn't produce it. It pictures what has happened to us in salvation. 
right? And also in the ordinance side, some of the passages that mention baptism, we don't believe it references water. We just believe it refers to our immersion or unity with Christ, right? Just because the word says baptism doesn't necessarily mean it has to refer to water because it just means to be immersed or united too. So I'm baptized into Christ. I am united. I'm in Christ because of salvation. So just make sure we have those two apart. The sacramental side sounds gospel-based, but in almost every situation, they're going to find a way to turn. It flips right back to law because if you, you, you can lose it. And if I can lose it, then it wasn't a work of God. It's a work of me. Or God starts it and it's up to me to continue it, which makes it works-based. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. Very important conversation. Barely scratched the surface on some of this as we continue to work on baptism uh, this week and looking at it and from the early church's perspective. I hope we keep some of these issues in mind and just show us how convoluted and complicated all of this can be and how easy it is, not just for other systems, but for us ourselves to be so inconsistent in some of these very important theological ideas. Convict us about this and help us strive to... Seek the truth, understand the truth, so that we can uh, better try to live according to it. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...